Well, happy fall, y'all. All y'all, as they say. Uh, welcome, everyone, wherever you're joining us from. Uh, people here at Mountain Road, uh, people at Abingdon and Aberdeen Campus, Edgewood, and online all over the world. Super glad you're with us. But as you all know, we have a big problem. We got an elephant in the room. We need to talk about it. And no, I'm not talking about the fact that the Minnesota Vikings are coming to town and there is going to be bloodshed. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that so many people, many of us, many of the people you know and love, are living with and dealing with huge amounts of financial stress and pain and confusion and frustration like an elephant sitting on the chest. I came back from summer break, and one of the first days I was back uh, early this fall, I picked up the phone. It was a friend telling me that his marriage was over. And he said at first, like, oh, I didn't see it coming, and it caught me completely by surprise. But as I listened and asked some questions, it became pretty clear as you peeled back the layers that the source of all of their frustration went back to money. Ah, money. And then that same week, a pastor friend of mine told me that there was a middle-aged person in his church who had taken his own life. And when they dug into it, it was the mountain of, of debt and bad decisions and Goals that he didn't feel like he could ever achieve that had created this sort of hopelessness inside of him. It was all finances. While he was visiting the family, the phone rang and it was another creditor saying, I want my money. And he felt like it was the only way. I, I, and then I came back and I kept hearing more and more stories about this. Like, yeah, the money stuff is really weighing me down. Or I don't know what to do about this, whether it's insurance or, you know, all this stuff. And I thought, man, someone's got to do something. And we can do something and we are doing something. And that's why we're spending a few weeks together. It's why hundreds of us are in groups right now, FPU, Elephant in the Room groups. Financial peace is what we're after, and we can help each other find it through real basic but so important biblical principles. It's a way of, of, of saying to ourselves, you know what? Everything comes under the Lordship of Jesus. Like everything, like every part of our life, not just our spiritual lives. Like some people are willing to say, I'll trust God with my eternal destiny, my eternal life, but I'm not sure I can trust him with my checkbook or my credit cards. And we're trying to just humble ourselves and say, I think Jesus is actually really smart and doesn't just have like spiritual wisdom for us. But he has practical, common sense, everyday knowledge about things like money. So first and foremost, this is about growing as a follower of Jesus. Second, it's about the practical everyday common sense stuff that can make our lives so much better and unleash us to be able to say yes to God because there's nothing better than when you live in the freedom that having financial peace can really bring when you do stuff God's way. So we began, you know, a couple weeks ago, I brought out some candy bars and you all got a candy bar if you're at one of our campuses and, and, and you saw, you know, that Almost 90% of us are living either in an incredible financial Nestle crunch or money is like slipping through our butterfingers or we're really needing a lifesaver at this point because we're in so much debt, so much confusion, so much stress and anxiety about money. And we talked about how money for a lot of people is like a misbehaving dog. Remember that part? 
If you didn't hear that message, you should go back and check it out. You know, a misbehaving dog goes wherever it wants and does whatever it wants, right? But if you train the dog and train yourself to train the dog, it'll stay. And money's like that. When you put money someplace, it never runs off on its own. It'll stay. It'll stay. So when you give some money to God, when you, when you set aside some for an emergency fund, when you save some, invest some, and then decide to live your life on the rest, things fall into order, but so many of us are living the opposite way. We start with how we think we want to live, and then we try to live like everybody else, and then it turns out we don't really have anything left for the investment and getting out of debt and the emergency savings or God. And that's why we're, we're looking at Financial Peace University as a way to get schooled on this, to go to not dog obedience school, but you know money obedience school. And then last week, man, if you didn't hear last week, one of, one of the most powerful messages you'll ever hear that Luke brought us about contentment and asking this question and wrestling, like, what would it take for you to be content? Like, and really wrestle with that question. Like, not give the Sunday school answer, but like, really? And then to learn from the example of someone like a Paul who's sitting there in prison who says in Philippians 4, I've learned a secret of being content in any and every situation. I've had a lot, I've had little, but I've learned this secret. And, and, and it's, a, it's a way to get off of that path. Remember, Luke is walking on the trail where it's like, we just feel like we've got to have more and more and more to achieve more and to, to have more to, to feel good and happy and content. But there's another way, a new path that we can take that, that leads us in a completely different way where we're no longer consumed with that mentality, but instead can discover deeper and deeper levels of contentment and joy and peace because that's what we're actually pursuing. And so he left us with these takeaways. Good reminder for us. Let's all be people who practice gratitude. Practice gratitude. Instead of pining and whining about what we don't have, we say thank you for what we do have. That's a game changer. Let's practice generosity because grateful and content people aren't grabbers. They're givers. Be a giver. Let's practice saying no. No to the endless pursuit of more and say yes to the God who gives us what we have. And let's practice simplicity to declutter our lives and live with less, which ironically gives us so much more. And finally, Pay off debt. Using that FPU snowball model, get started however you can, whenever you can, because it'll start lifting the weight of that elephant off your chest. Now today, we're going to talk about a bedrock concept that if we can get this out of our, into our heads and then from our heads into our hearts, oh my goodness, it's an absolute game changer. There's a lot of things in life we kind of know in our heads that we really don't believe in our hearts, right? Like I know, I know if I take in more calories than I burn, I'm going to put on pounds I probably don't want or need. I know if I sit on the couch and eat too many Doritos and Cokes, what happens there? It's not just knowing something that always is the answer, right? So we want to try to really be conscious about saying, what would it look like to not just know the concept we're going to talk about today, but to live by it, to actually live by it. And if you do, I can promise you it has changed my life. It has changed the way we lead this church. It's, it, it's, the, it's the way we decide so many things around here. And it will lead you to a place where you can have so much more joy and gratitude and contentment. Doesn't that sound good? Let's get to the principle, all right? Before we do, I want to mention one thing. And that is, this is so important because 
More than anything else in our life, money has the potential to become for us a God substitute, right? Like a God substitute. Think about that. I think we've all wrestled with this. I think we've all experienced what I'm talking about here. Where we look to money to do for us what really only God can do. What God asks us to only trust Him for, right? When we look to money, and I think we've all done this, where we look to money to, to be our provider, to provide for us security, a sense of identity, significance, successfulness, meaning. We look to money to do all of this stuff. We begin to trust it, and it's a, it becomes an idol at the point that I look to money to do what only God can do. And we find ourselves one day waking up and realizing we're living our lives not for God, but for money. It's what we think about. It's, what we're, it's the purpose of our life. It's what we work for. It's what we care about. It's what we worry about losing. Those are all the things God says, if I'm your God, that's what you're going to think about me as your provider, the one who provides you with identity, security, significance, success, the one you think about and would know that you couldn't live without. So in other words, sometimes if we fall prey to worshiping money instead of God, it really is a problem. Not because God says that's a no-no, don't do that, or it'll hurt my feelings. No, 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 because it'll ruin our lives, because it howls us out. It wastes, we can waste our whole life pursuing the wrong stuff and never have what we long for the most, which is that peace, that contentment that only comes through making God our God through Jesus Christ. You know, man uh, had worked way too much, kind of the classic... Um, I'm going to sell my soul to the company store. He built his own business up, actually, and, and he spent so much time doing it, though, that his wife and he just kind of drifted apart over a period of long years where it was clear that he loved his job and his money more than he did her. And his kids, as they grew up into older ages, and he just kept missing things and skipping out on things, all thinking he was just you know, going to earn all this money to impress the family and all. His whole family kind of drifted apart, and he finally started figuring it out, and so he went and bought a really expensive yacht, like a 40-foot yacht, thinking to himself, my family's going to love me because I got this boat, and he kind of had this flitting imagination of this moment where he would all be out there with his family, they'll be enjoying each other on this yacht, relaxing together, but it was too late because his wife said, I'm gone, I'm done. And there was no reasoning with her and the kids as coming into their adulthood. They really didn't want a thing to do with him because their hearts had been broken so many times. They learned to move on. And so here was this guy. He has this boat and piles of money. He's sitting on that boat alone with his money. And he would have traded anything to be sitting on a 10-foot dinghy with his family with no cash in his pocket because that's what he really wanted. But he just forgot what was truly important. And God says, don't forget what's truly important. You see, that guy learned what a lot of us have learned, and that is that money makes a really bad God. It, it, it just demands stuff from us, and it never gives anything back. It leaves you with nothing, and God is exactly the opposite. He says, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I will grant you the truest desires of your heart, the things you ultimately really do want. Jesus said this is something that all of us need to know. You've got a choice about what God that you serve. We all make that choice. We, you, you know, Bob Dylan years ago, he sang that song, you got to serve somebody, and you're going to serve somebody. But you get to choose. 
Jesus said it this way when it comes to the money thing. He said in Matthew 6, he says, you cannot serve both God and money. You've got to make up your mind. Notice he doesn't say, hey, it's really hard. It's just tough. Well, it's really hard when you try to serve God and money. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, it's a bad idea. I wish you wouldn't try this. He doesn't say that. He's just stating a fact. He's saying you can't do it. You literally cannot. You can think you're serving God when you're actually serving money, but you, sometimes I think a lot of us are doing that. But we can't serve God and money, so pick your God. And that's why I want to take you to a parable that Jesus told, a story. And if you open your Bible, your app, wherever you're looking at today, open to Matthew 25. This is a, this is a really heavy and, and big chapter, but this is a, a delightful story that Jesus tells. Um, but it kind of has this one of those ways that Jesus draws you in with a story, and then you realize, oh, I think he's talking about something really important here. And that's what's going on in Matthew 25. Sometimes we call it the parable of the talents. Or sometimes it's referred to as the parable of the gold bags. Now a talent um, was a, a, a unit of measurement of money in Jesus' era. Most think a talent was about worth 20 years of a day laborer's wages. Somebody said it's about 50,000 bucks. Okay. It's a large sum of money. Let's dig in. Verse 14 begins the story. And Jesus begins it by saying, again, and he goes on to tell the story. But when you hear the word again, it should make you think, wait a second, again what? What's again? What's he doing here? So what's the context? Again what? Well, Jesus is giving a whole series, a whole sequence of lessons here on what God cares about, what God's kingdom is like. And he says, let me tell you another one. Again, it's like this. He's giving lots of different looks at the same truths. He's talking about how you can trust the Lord even when everything else has let you down. And here, he's talking about how all of a sudden, you're going to die one day. Or Jesus is going to return and you're going to find yourself standing before God. Just you and the Lord. And you're going to give an account for what you believed and how you lived based on how you did believe. We don't often think about that, but if you realize that day's coming, it changes how you live now. One of the gifts of being a pastor is you get to see a lot of death. That may sound like an odd statement, but I did a funeral this week. Our friend Dennis Johnson, longtime Mountain member, died of COVID. We did his funeral just this week. Dick Ireland, a lot of you know that name, longtime beloved personality for Shine FM. He also passed and went home to be with the Lord. It really makes you think. It should. Have you had your funeral yet, any of you? <laughs> no? Well, it's coming, okay? I don't mean to be morbid, but I think this is what Jesus is teaching to remind us that this is coming. So that's the secret. There's a day coming when you won't have time to make a decision, and the decision you make now is going to help God know how to make His decision about your eternity based on the decision you made now. So as you're standing there before the Lord, Jesus says, it's like, go back to verse 14 there, it's like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Verse 15 says, to one he gave five bags of gold. To another one he gave two bags of gold. And to another he gave one bag, each according to his ability. And then the master went on his journey. So you see this wealthy man represents God very clearly. And he's calling in his servants. That represents us, right? 
And he's leaving for a long journey, going to be away for a while. We don't know how long, but until then, until he returns, he entrusts his resources to them. And there, there's, there's a hugely important word here. I want to go back to verse 14. Probably, I think there's so many important words here. Um, I've highlighted a couple, but actually I think maybe the most important word in the whole verse isn't highlighted. What do you think it might be? I'll tell you what I think it is. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted, say the word with me, his, yeah, his wealth to them. Everybody say the word his one more time. His, yeah. The master entrusted his wealth to them. It, it, it establishes ownership, doesn't it? It just is a reminder. It's about possession. Who actually possesses this stuff? Who does all the gold belong to? Does it belong to the servants? Even after the master is gone? No, it does not. It's in their hands, but it's not their stuff. This is a huge principle that when our kids are little, we want them to understand it. So wait a second, just because it's in your hands, that isn't yours. If something isn't yours, even though it's in your hands, you treat it with respect. Everyone needs to remember that when you're on a date. Just because it's in your hands, it doesn't belong to you. We need to remember that when we're given the earth to take care of it. Just because it's in your hands doesn't mean it belongs to you. It belongs to God. And we need to remember it when it, when it comes to stuff entrusted to it. Just because it's in my hands doesn't mean it's my stuff. It's the master's wealth, and he's entrusting it to his servants. And, and, and there's a distribution going on here. Now, this is, this is huge. This will affect everything about, if you get this, everything else makes sense. If you don't get this, you're going to fight. You're going you're to be offended. You're going to get defensive. You're going to buck against God. You're going to do it your own way. And, and, and okay, but I'm telling you, if you get this right, you'll understand this is a parable about a theology of ownership. That's what it is. And if we get this, everything else makes sense. Here it is. Biblical ownership theology basically says it all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. That's why I brought with me some of this yummy Mexican food. I don't know. When you go to, when you go to a restaurant, uh, Mexican restaurant, what's, uh, what's some of your favorite uh, Mexican food? I mean, what, what do you order off the menu there? Any enchilada people? Maybe just a nice burrito you know, maybe some, some pork tacos, fish tacos, and Minnesota walleye tacos. I'll tell you, one of the things I like to get at the beginning while I'm thinking about it is what? I get myself a big old plate of nachos. Yeah, I love these nachos. Hmm, you wonder if I'm going to eat those in front of you? I, I won't eat too much of them in front of you. But nachos, here's the thing. Why am I showing you nachos? Well, I'm showing you nachos because the car that you drove today is nachos. Everything is nachos. Everything is nachos. All right? Now, this is silly, but you're going to remember this. Nachos. Everything. If God owns everything, then everything is nachos. The place where you live, where you're going to go lay your head tonight, nachos. That's what it is. It's not yours. It's God's, right? That TV on which you will watch the ravens go up and smoke, nachos. Okay, that's not your TV. Everything that we call mine, everything you say, that's mine. God owns it. It's, it's not Joe's. It's God's. 
All right, does that make sense? When we approach our money and our possessions and our stuff and our time and our energy in this way, it's so much easier to become, uh, to, to become a different person than a grabber and a greedy person, to become different than a person who's materialistic or consumed with the monster of more. And I, I just want to tell you, this is more than a cute little slogan that, that, that I come up with here, but, but it's all through the Bible. Let's take a moment here. Let's do a quick tour. All right, because some of our great heroes, like Moses, Ten Commandment guy, right, leads the children of Israel out of Egypt. What does he say? Deuteronomy 10. Look, he says, the highest heavens and earth and everything in it belong to the Lord your God. Wow. And then King David wrote most of the Psalms. He says in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it, the people, the stuff, everything. When Job was going through a horrible time and he'd lost everything, God says to him, you know what? No one has ever given me anything that I must pay back because everything under the sky belongs to me. Job, I gave you everything you had at the beginning. I know you've lost it all now, but I have the ability to restore it to you. And that's, in fact, what God did. Haggai says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Maybe that's the the verse that Jesus had in mind when he told a parable about bags of gold. And Psalm 50 says, it's almost like God's messing with us a little bit. He says, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For the world is mine and all it's in it. I don't, I don't need you to say, hey, can you rustle me something up to eat? I, I can take care of that. Because every animal and of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills shows me right there God's not a vegetarian. I'm just kidding. But it does say the gold, the cattle, Everything. Now, if we can do that and put it in perspective, remember, everything belongs to God. Say that with me. Everything belongs to God. One more time. Everything belongs to God. Exactly. Got to get that in our head. That opens up our perspective. And here's the point. Listen now. If everything actually belongs to God, well, then guess what? Does God have a right to tell us how he wants it to be used? Of course he does. The master went on a journey. Just because it's in our hands doesn't mean it belongs to us. It's not Joe's. It all belongs to him. So there are some huge implications. And let me lay a couple out for us here to kind of help us think. So if this is true, this ownership principle, it's nachos, it's nachos, it's nachos. What does it mean for us? How do, what does that change about the way I think and live and then actually handle my money? All right? Number one, if I really believe it's God's money, Well, I'm going to be grateful. I'm going to be grateful for whatever God has entrusted to me. If I really believe it's his, then anything I get into my hand, it's going to to stir up gratitude inside of me. I'm going to be grateful. You realize I'm so blessed to have it. Think about the moment you were born. What were you wearing? (laughs) Right? Nothing. It's why they call it a birthday suit. And the Bible points out in Ecclesiastes 5, you know, that's how you're going to go out of this world too. Buck naked, right? We all come to the end of our lives naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. That's who we are. You can't take your riches with you. Nothing, no matter how long you live or whatever, you, you don't have a thing. But God, while you're here, dresses you and starts putting stuff in your hands temporarily entrusting stuff to you. And you say, well, wait a second. No, no, no. I, I don't look at it that way. I, I earned this. I worked hard on this. I, 
I busted my hump to get where I am, and I, I, this is mine because I earned it and I worked for that. It's like, okay, but who gave you that physical strength? Who gave you the ability to take another breath? Or did you do all that? Did you get yourself all born? You making your heart beat right now? Who allowed you to be born into the family you were born into or be able to have the ability to even go to the school you went to or give you the mental capacity, the personality, the thing that someone thinks is worth rewarding with financial compensation? Who gave you all those gifts? I don't care if you can solve a Rubik's Cube in 10 seconds or, or program a space rocket or you can wow them on America's Got Talent when someone says, man, where, how'd, you, how'd you do that? Your answer is you know, not, I'm evolutionary elite. That's what I am. No, no, no. You say it's a gift from God. You may have nurtured it, you may have developed it, and I hope you have. That's good stewardship. But it comes from God. And I think some of us are just a little spoiled because we, we think, we think, you know, mom and dad, you know, when mom and dad gives me something and they pay for it and they put it in my hand, I say, mine. And I forget all about mom and dad. So imagine, imagine this, just go with me here. So there's a young couple, and they got, um, they got a couple young kids, but they're at that stage of life. It's money's tight, you know. They're working hard. They got a lot of expenses, and it's tough. And they haven't been able to take a vacation in a couple years. It's just hard, you know. So it looks like, dang, another, another staycation for us, you know. So they're gearing up for that. But then they get this email from a wealthy uncle who has this beach house. And he says, you know what? On this particular week, no one's at the beach house. I really hope you guys can take your family. It's all yours. Just go and enjoy yourselves. And you tell the family, and you all get excited, and everybody's thrilled, and so off you go. You pack up, and there you go. But you get to the house, and when you go there to turn on the light on the porch, the, the porch light bulb is burnt out. You take note of that. And, and then you go into the kitchen. You're like, man, I'm famished. That was a long drive, and I'm, and I'm thirsty. And you open the fridge, and there's nothing in there. It's not stocked at all. There's nothing in there. You go to the bedroom, you try to go lay down at night, and the, and the pillow's like one of those springy ones. Like, who buys that stuff and why? It's like, come on. It's like, it's, I don't know if I can get any sleep here. And there's like no blankets. I'm used to a lot of blankets, and there's not many blankets here. And then you go look out the balcony in the morning, and you realize the beach is a lot further away than it looked in the pictures. So what do you do? It's a big question. Well, of course, there's only one thing to do. You... you you either get on the phone or you get out an email and you write your uncle right away and you say, this is ridiculous. You call this a beach house? I mean, this is some kind of a joke? You sent us here for this? Thanks a lot. And then you spend the rest of your time complaining about it, right? That's what you could do. That's what a lot of us probably do. This probably doesn't quite sound right, does it? No, it doesn't. Because you realize in a moment of sanity and clarity, I wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for my uncle. This was a gift. He blessed us. And if you get your head on straight, you're going to feel what? You're going to feel grateful, right? And if you have any class or dignity at all, you're going to also replace that light bulb. Maybe even leave the fridge stocked when you go. Because you're not paying for it. It's not even yours. You're just staying there. And then you can realize it's not just your uncle's generosity to give you that place. It's that he thought of you, that he cared about you enough to go to the trouble to do that. It's probably hidden expenses that he has that you don't know anything about. So how you live in your life, which of those two responses kind of typifies your honest reflex as you go through your days? Grateful to God 
who's so much more than a rich uncle, but provides for us so much. And being grateful for whatever he puts in our hands. And this is why the comparison game is so dangerous, right? There's two kinds of people. One who says, oh, I only got one bag of gold. And one who says, I can't believe I got a whole bag of gold. Which kind of person are you? Now, one of the things that helps me is to kind of get my brain retrained on this, right? Because it's something we know up here. We can say the words, God owns it all, and I should be grateful. But to feel it down here takes a little practice, right? So what you can do is you can just kind of remind yourself that God owns it all, and he lets me enjoy his stuff. This stuff in my house, everything around my day, it's not Joe's, it's not mine. So, you know, you get up out of God's bed in the morning, and you go to God's bathroom, and you get in God's shower, and you, you, take, you take a shower with some of God's water, and then you put on some of God's clothes. And you go down to God's kitchen, and you, 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 you pour a big old bowl of God's raisin bran, or you think of uh, one of those e eggs that comes out of one of God's chickens, and you put it in one of God's frying pans, and you drink some of God's coffee, and then you get in God's truck, and you go to work to that job that God gave you, and you come home to God's house, and you sit down, and you turn on God's TV, and you cheer for God's team, the Minnesota Vikings. That's, that's how we can think. And when you think that way, it's going to fill your heart with gratitude. And when you believe that, it'll get your heart in the right place. Another implication of this, follow me here. Another implication is, when I believe it's God's money, man, I'm going to be content. I'm going to be content with however God allocates his resources. This is tricky because we have a big fairness thing inside of us and a big comparison game. This is why we spent a whole week last week talking about contentment. But here's what I, I, I take from this story is that Jesus apparently thinks it's normal that some people have more than others. And that some people maybe have more than others for reasons that we don't even understand. He didn't tell why. He just said, here you go. According to their ability, according to their readiness, their season of life. I don't know how, we, how you want to fill that in. We don't know how much those guys had before the master gave them this amount. I mean, maybe what they did in the past dictated how much gold they got in the present and how much that would be rewarded in the future. We don't know all that. Maybe It makes me wonder, maybe the one bad guy was a little bit of an indecisive, passive hoarder, and he didn't have much track record as a good steward, maybe. I don't know. The master's giving him an undeserved opportunity here to show him different. Maybe the guy with five bags, that's a, that's a lady who, who's, who's been through FPU and was consistently generous and, and, and has a spending plan and wasn't living under a massive debt, and that's why the master gave her five bags. I don't know. We don't know why. But when you have an attitude of gratitude, no matter how many bags you have, you say, man, at least I got one bag, and that's so awesome, and I'm content. And instead of thinking about how life isn't fair, man, you can look at it a completely different way. When you trust God, you don't measure yourself by your net worth. You measure yourself. Your self-worth doesn't come from that. So this is why this, this contentment thing is so hilarious. Will you pay, look at this. There was this experiment Franz de Waal, I think is the guy's name. He did a TED Talk. He used two monkeys. They had these monkeys. They know each other. They're in community, right? And then they brought them into these cages, and they had a simple task they had to perform. They had to pick up a rock, hand it through the cage to the trainer. When they did, they got a cucumber. 
Monkeys love cucumbers. They could do this over and over and over, 25, 30 times in a row. Give, rock, give, give the rock to the trainer. The trainer gives them a cucumber. They eat the cucumber, happy as a clam, over and over and over again. But then what happens is the trainer introduced to one of the monkeys a grape instead of a cucumber, which turns out monkeys think grapes are pretty cool. What do you think happened? Check this out. The one on the left is the monkey who gets cucumber. The one on the right is the one who gets grapes. The one who gets cucumber, note that the first piece of cucumber is perfectly fine. The first piece she eats. Uh, then she sees the other one getting grape and you will see what happens. So she gives a rock to us, that's the task. And we give her a piece of cucumber and she eats it. The other one needs to give a rock to us. And that's what she does. And she gets a grape. And she eats it. The other one sees that. She gives a rock to us now. Gets again cucumber. <laughs> she tests the rock now against the wall. She needs to give it to us. And she gets cucumber again. Oh my goodness. We're monkeys. Uh, like, we act just like that. We want the grape, right? Even though cucumber. So this is, this is the principle. When, when we constantly compare... It's going to make us not very grateful, right? And we're going to learn instead when we understand that it's not chose to begin with, that God gives according to God's design how much we have at every stage. We can trust him, not just with what we have, but why we have it. And that allows us then to be able to understand that God's the owner of all things. It all belongs to God. It takes all the pressure off. You don't have to worry. He allocates resources as he sees fits for you in any season of your life so we can be grateful. And then finally, one last insight. When, when we really believe it's God's money, then we can be obedient to, to how God expects us to use his resources. Remember, his money, his stuff, nachos. So as you look back at Matthew 25, the master goes off on the journey and he allocates his resources, but he doesn't just allocate them. He directs them about how he wants it to be used. We'll get to some of that maybe another time. But it's interesting. The master comes back and he judges them based on what they did with it. Even when the true owner is absent, they're still accountable for his expectations. So there's really just one question. The question is, how does the master really want his money to be managed? That's the question. How does the manager, the master, the owner want his money to be managed? It's not your money. You don't even get to decide that. You gotta ask that. So the question is not, what am I going to do with my money? That's, that's not the biblical question. The question is not even, what am I going to do with God's money? The question is, what does God want me to do with his money? And when you start getting into that territory, man, it just sets you so free. 
to realize it belongs to him. He has the right to direct it however he wants. And the good news is, man, he's told us. He's told us exactly how he wants us to use his money and that there's going to be an accounting, an accountability for that all. And so if you get this principle, it's nachos, it's God's money, you will find this liberating and freeing and joyful and leading you on a path to contentment. If you don't, you're going to find this offensive. You're going to find it defensive. And so the question is, whose money do you think it really is? And when you believe it's God's money, then you say, okay, God, how do you want me to, to do it, to use it? And that's where you're going to start hearing these principles. And it's like, okay, God says things like the borrower is the slave to the lender. And he want, warns us against becoming enslaved to debt. And, and we're accountable then to be as debt-free from this expansive debt as we can. That's, it's because it's his money. And, 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 and we can think about when God warns us about saving for emergencies all through the Bible. We're going to save some of his money for the future because it's his money and that's what he wants us to do. The Bible tells us to keep track of resources we've been entrusted with. Like pay attention to your flocks and herds, it says. So we have a plan for spending. Why? Because it's his money. Right? It's not just a good idea. It's, it's a principle because it's his money. The Bible tells us that we can enjoy what we're blessed with, that he doesn't want us to, to feel guilty, but he wants to bless us and, and that we can spend some of his money after we save and give and all these things because he wants us to, because it's his money. And then there's also accountability for whether we give or not. And this is the one where a lot of us run into trouble. It's the real test of whether you think it's your money or God's, though. It really is. When God asks us to give generously, when he asks us to give proportionately to how much he gave us, when he asks us to give consistently, I'm not talking about one-off giving where you write some check or give something out of your pocket on the spot, a sort of random act of kindness. Those are good things. Everybody should do that. But God's people who understand that everything, every breath, every day, every moment, every dollar comes from God, they, they say, God, how do you want me to invest it? And they realize that the first thing off the top goes to the Lord as a way of saying, you're my God. I cannot serve God in money. You get it first. I want it out of my hand and into yours as a way of fulfilling. And this is why so many people lean to that tithe that the scripture teaches. 10% of everything. Give it to the Lord. And the New Testament, I think, would say just run it to the, to the church and say, I want it to go to God's stuff right off the top. 10%. That's $10 out of every 100. It's $100 out of every 1,000. It's 1,000 out of every 10K and 10K out of every 100K. As Malachi 3 says, you bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, the Lord God Almighty says. And you just see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing you won't even have enough room for it. Those are the things that God says, that's how I want my money to be done. You gotta, you, you, all this stuff we're talking about, these principles, they come out of scripture and it's just a beautiful way to decide how much we trust God. I thought, how can we leave you with a, a, something to really test this and give us a, a memorable tool to Put this Bible's teaching into practice. So here you go, everybody. On the way into, if you're here on, if, uh, in one of our campuses, um, you received an envelope just like this on the way in. Now's the time to find that. And hopefully you haven't opened it yet, but if you, you have, it's all right. Now I'm going to ask you to do something very carefully. Um, very carefully open it. You can open it any way you want, but don't just tear it down the middle. I'll, you'll see why in a minute. I want you to open this. We're going to learn a principle together. Inside this envelope, you're going to find one of these right here. A handsome, maybe even brand new $1 bill. All right? There it is. A $1 bill. Um, this is a little exercise. I want to give you this $1 bill and a couple things you need to know. One, this is my money. It came out of Carla's and my savings account. 
We have followed FBU principles. We have put some money away in savings. I wrote a check for cash. I got $1 bills. Everyone, you have my money in your hand right now, and I want you to feel the weight of that. (laughs) Here's the second thing I want to make sure you hear me say loud and clear. I want my money back. I don't want you to live out the principle of of the parable now. I, I want to make my own parable here, and that is I want this money back. If you don't, I hope you get used to this shirt because I'm going to wear this shirt every single weekend if I don't get this money back. All right? So I'm not joking with you. Next week, you come back. We have a really cool uh, teaching we're going to bring next week, but there's also going to be boxes or baskets of, for Ben's bucks. Don't put it in the offering, okay? It ain't going to come to me that way. I want it back. It's my money. It's in your hand. I want you to feel the weight of that, to live a week. Well, you remember, I got that money. You put it in your wallet. Don't just put it on the dashboard or whatever. Maybe put it somewhere where you can see it. I want you to carry it around, and please, bring it back. And if you forget next week, bring it back the next week. I want you to live with that because that's what God has done. He says, here's something. It's not yours. It's mine. But I love you and have it. Now, you bring it back next week to me, but God says most of it you can just live on however you want to as long as it honors me. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these principles from your word, for how you have blessed us. Help us to be grateful. Help us to be content. Help us to handle your money how you ask us to. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.